I may not look like Ryan, but I'm going to put the uh, music stand right here because I know this is what he does. <laughs> I'm a bit younger than Ryan. So the choir, you're going to sit back there and I'm going to have my back turned to you the whole time. You're used to it, used to being people putting their backs to you. So would you pray with me, brothers and sisters? Lord, give us ears to listen, hearts to hear, and minds to understand your will for us today. Amen. I just need to tell you a story before we really get going on the homily. Three Sundays ago at our church, the Sunday school students were, kids were learning about the story of Jesus calming the waters. Jesus is in the boat sleeping on pillows. The disciples are distraught. The sea is throwing water into the boat. Lord, Lord, won't you do something to save us lest we drown? And Jesus wakes up and says, be still. And the waters are still. So the Sunday school craft was to take large plastic bottles, fill them with water, put some blue dye in because everybody knows water is blue, and little cut-out foam um, boats. So then the kids could take the bottles and shake them, and the storm was there, and then let them go, and Jesus calms the storm. Perfect. A few of the bottles leaked a little bit, and the kids <laughs> took the tops off. But the Sunday school teacher, ever resourceful, had that great Canadian duct tape in her back pocket, and she duct taped up the lids. What a wonderful idea. The children left Sunday school, and one of them went with her family to our wonderful Parksville Park. And she played there, and then by mistake, she left her bottle there in the gazebo. Somebody came by and thought, I wonder what that is and called the authorities. The RCMP came and said, does anybody know anything about this? No one came forward. They phoned Vancouver for the bomb squad, who flew over in a helicopter, four of them, with their suits and a robot, and that bottle of Jesus calms the water. <laughs> following Tuesday, there was a newspaper story about the incident, and there was a description of the bomb, potential bomb, and at the end it said, anyone who has any information about this container and the bomb, suspected bomb, please contact the RCMP. Our Sunday school superintendent kind of had one of those, oh no. <laughs> It may have been one of our bottles of Jesus calms the waters. And phoned the RCMP, told them the whole story, and at the very end, the officer who she was speaking to said, tell me again what this project was. And she said, it's Jesus calms the waters. And he said, what an irony. 
And that's our story. And if you go back three weeks and look at the Parksville Qualicum News, it's on the front page. It was an explosive event at our church. So just do you know what your Sunday school kids are up to this morning? <laughs> what are they doing? I'm going to start the real homily now. So, our readings today, thank you for reading those in the choir, nicely read. They are good news. Actually, they're great news, these two stories. We get some clear teaching from Jesus in a metaphor about managing vines in a vineyard. Now, that's something all of us can relate to in B.C. Vineyards and the products they produce are near and dear to us in B.C. Not so much in Alberta these days. We also get this encouraging story in Acts of the Apostle Philip, who steps out in faith and boldly practices discipleship. I'm going to come back to both of these stories, but first I want to rewind the clock a little bit to the events of Easter and shortly after. We're still in the Easter season in the church. So back we go, one, two, three, four weeks. The disciples were aware of some of the conflict brewing between, uh, toward the end of Jesus' ministry. They must have been, right? They were present for those ugly encounters with the Pharisees, the no-win questions posed to Jesus, the, the pushback. They saw it all. But did any of them think that it would all end in a criminal execution and crucifixion? It seems to have taken them completely by surprise. Even though Jesus told them several times that his earthly time was coming to an end. Has that ever happened to you? You were there all along and heard and saw everything, but you just missed seeing the final outcome. You didn't predict it. I have. And I remember thinking, how could I have missed all the signs? How could I do that? How could I have been so blind? It was right there in front of me. Ah, that hindsight. It's always 2020, isn't it? Modern research tells us that the grief process takes us through predictable stages. Each of us responds differently in intensity, and we spend more or less time in the stages, but we go through all of those stages. And the disciples were in the midst of grief, confusion. They had missed the obvious signs, and suddenly their world was completely turned upside down. Jesus was taken, crucified, and buried in just three days. He was definitely gone. There was disbelief, denial, anger, and then fear for the future, fear for their own safety, waiting for that knock on the door when the authorities arrived to arrest them. 
And all that occurred long before there was acceptance and a new beginning. And out of all of their reactions, it was the fear that held them back, that kept them closeted away, waiting for that knock on the door. That's exactly what fear does to us. It paralyzes us. And we cannot be who we are meant to be when we're living in fear. About five years ago, Beth and I went to see the film The King's Speech. Perhaps some of you saw this remarkable film. Anybody saw that one? It's emotional, it's humorous, filled with history. I love history. And it's a recreation of a time many in our aging community in Qualicum Beach remember personally. The film depicts the story of the abdication of King Edward and the ascension of King George. It's the story of a man living with deep pain who perseveres with the help of a supportive wife and a speech therapist, and ultimately, he triumphs. In the final scene, the king delivers a speech. It's a time of great national need and great change, and in order to succeed, he has to face his childhood past and place his trust in an undereducated commoner, an Australian to boot. Now, I don't want to knock Australians. That may be some of your heritage. He just happened to be an Australian in the film. Until King George is prepared to set to one side his pride and anger and fear, he's not able to move forward. And moving forward, in this case, giving a speech with less stammering was a lifetime struggle for the king. But he had to skirt the fear and replace it with trust and faith, and he did that, and he held on to that until his death at age 56. Sometimes we just have to trust God when instead we would rather just manage everything ourselves and turn away and sometimes bury the bigger challenges facing us Blaming others, it's their fault for things that aren't going well, that are not perfect, or blaming God for how things turned out. Well, if God was here, he would have done something. I'd say in my life, it's, it's been hard to trust God. I mean that. I, I have struggled with trust. And a lot of the time, I don't welcome too much change. Now, I have to say, when things are going well and the sun is shining, that's not today, but a few days ago, and I'm in right relationships with family and friends, and there are not a lot of changes going on and problems, it's pretty easy to live life. After all, there isn't that much need to be trusting God when everything's going well and life is just rolling along. And there have been times when I've told God that everything's good right now and God can take a break. I'll handle this. Now that probably puts a really big smile on God's face to know I'm handling things. And then there have been the times 
when nothing is going well. Home issues, job issues, health issues, financial issues, the loss of someone I loved, feeling unloved and alone, confusion, which just won't go away, and fear. Now where is God? And why doesn't he do something? He's God. And what do I do? I cry out, God help me. Where are you? I need you. This is all going wrong. It's changing too fast. I can't manage. Has that ever happened to you? I'm pretty sure it has, even though I didn't see any hands go up. <laughs> and has it been easy to trust God when things were grim, when fear has just sort of gripped you, you can feel its hands around you? When so much was changing, unknown perhaps? So, back to our story. Jesus has shown himself to the women at the tomb, to the disciples walking to Emmaus, to the other disciples in the upper room, and to so many more. The risen Christ has been all over town. He has done all he can to convince them he is alive, raised from the dead. Look at my hands. Look at my feet. It's me, Jesus. I'm not a ghost. Give me a piece of fish to eat. Ghosts can't eat. And so they do. And then Jesus promises the disciples a gift. Wait here for the Holy Spirit. And like a roaring wind, the Spirit fills them and they're empowered to speak boldly and to step out in faith. That must have been an amazing day. The fear is banished, it's gone, and now these men who had been closeted away are unleashed for the work of the kingdom. Extraordinary. What a gift. What a time the disciples had talking to the crowds that day, speaking boldly in ways they didn't even know they could. I've often wondered at that point if they remembered the metaphor of the vine and the need for pruning, the joy that follows in the form of a more beautiful flower, a uh, a more abundant crop of grapes on a vine. Did they remember that Jesus was the vine, that he had told them that? The solid, functional, supportive base for the branches? Did they understand how they and us were the branches, were were to reach out to the world? Did they get that Jesus had shown them the way and the Spirit would lead them into discerning what God needed to prune? What they needed to change in their behavior, attitude, confidence? Did they comprehend fully that once detached from the vine, that branch cannot function, it dies. Jesus was pretty succinct and clear. No branch can bear fruit by itself. 
it must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. And with an echo of the great commissioning, Jesus tells his disciples at the very end of that passage we read, this is to my Father's glory. Imagine, this is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. I think Jesus' message is pretty clear. Go out there and do it for me. And that brings us to Philip, one of the disciples who doesn't get a lot of page time in the Bible. Best as anyone knows, Philip traveled with Jesus, learned from Jesus, was there fearful in the upper room, saw Jesus alive again, and received the Holy Spirit. And perhaps one of the prunings that he received was to trust that when he was asked to go, he went. No questions, no excuses, no requirement for an explanation or a detailed memo. The angel tells him in the passage that we read, go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. He's not told what he's to do when he gets to the desert road, only that he is to go. And the very next bit of text that follows that says, so he started out. Now that is obedience. And then the Spirit told Philip, go to that chariot over there and stay near it. In one of the other passages, in one of the other Gospels, he runs alongside the chariot. He does that. He isn't given an instruction of what to do other than to go and stay alongside that chariot. I love that Philip just started a conversation with the eunuch. He didn't start preaching the gospel instantly. He just showed an interest in what the eunuch was doing. He took the time to find out what was happening before he jumped in. And the Spirit took it from there. Philip's willingness to listen to the Spirit his obedience and his faith turn a ride for an Ethiopian eunuch into a life-changing exchange, ultimately a baptism. And if I really imagine hard, it might have been the start of the Coptic church in Ethiopia. I love that the eunuch left rejoicing. He had heard the news it had all been explained to him. He had been baptized, and he left rejoicing. So Philip, embedded in that vine, freed from impediments, accepting the pruning that God offered, bears witness and much fruit. Where there might have been fear, it was set aside. The Spirit called and Philip acted. I think this is a story for us. I think it's a great story. 
Embedded in Jesus and with the power of the Spirit, we can go out and bear much fruit in our homes, our communities, and in the world. We can be a Philip. I do recognize that each of us has a busy life and that we're all at different stages, uh, young children, grandchildren in our case, volunteer activities, sometimes one, two, three jobs when you're early in your career, and that life is fluid. Things often seem to happen while we're making plans about life. And I recognize that change is difficult, and it can lead to fear and anxiety. It does for me sometimes. We're not undergoing perhaps the grief and the change that happened for the disciples with the loss of Jesus and then all the changes that happened. But our United Church is undergoing change right now. All denominations are dealing with change. The number of Christian worshipers are falling rapidly in much of the world and especially in North America. Churches are closing. We have had to close two in the North Island. Values appear to be shifting when we read the media. What will become of us? I believe that rooted to that vine, that support system of Jesus, we can have the courage to look at spirit-led change. Our church can and will be revitalized. I also believe that it does not matter if we're young or we're old, we're male or we're female, we're a new believer or long-time believer. We can, each one of us, ask God to prune away the fear that comes from change and replace it with the, the, with the fruit of hope, delight, and expectation. We can be branches embedded in Christ, and we can bear amazing fruit. Amen.